Um, no. Um, so I am am excited to start today. I we have been on a bit of a journey. I guess a pun intended there um, for the last few months, and we entered into the pandemic. We were in the midst of an interactive study on the letters of the epistles of John, first, second, and third John, and we continued that, and we did a few other things. But last fall, we made a turn. We made a turn to begin talking about how do we process what we're going through, because Church is not something that we do because it's cultural or because it's just what we're supposed to do. If the church is real, and if the people who claim to follow Christ are actually following Christ, we are different. We are changed, and we are constantly changing. And one of the old evangelism tools of my childhood was to tell people that if you'll follow Jesus... Life is always perfect and rosy and happy, and Jesus makes all bad things go away. And it takes you a hot second to realize that is not the real gospel. (laughs) And so as we started through the pandemic, we took on a lot of the struggles that the rest of the world was facing, but we faced them differently. So we began, and that turn began with the series we call Jesus is Essential. And then we began talking about emotions. And the reason we wanted we spent so many weeks talking about different emotions was to one normalize it because Jesus experienced many emotions we don't talk about. But also we recognize that when we feel something, we cannot be driven by feelings, we have to be driven by truth. So even if we feel scared, at times we move forward even in fear. Even if we feel sad, we still keep moving even though we feel sad. Then we began talking leading up to Easter about rising up. This is the central teaching of Christianity that makes it different than every other religion available to anyone. And that is is that the central figure of our faith rose from the dead, and not only rose from the dead, hundreds of people experienced and witnessed this. And while we talk about the crucifixion and the resurrection at Easter, early believers talked about it every time they got together because they witnessed it, they experienced it, it utterly changed them. Now we are, probably many of us, excited about some of the news this week about masks coming off and things opening up and what feels like we're headed back to normal. But I will tell you over the last year, the last thing I want to do is return to normal. I don't know about you. You may want to be returning to normal and now you're going to have to endure the next few minutes with me <laughs> until you're, you can walk out of here. But I have no interest in returning to Normal, Because as much as we have not enjoyed this year, some of us, most of us, maybe all of us, life wasn't perfect before the pandemic. And the world is changing. The way people perceive faith is changing. The way people perceive followers of Jesus is, is changing. And while God himself never changes. We have to always be looking at the ways to most honestly and authentically reflect that. I appreciate what what um, 
version isn't pulling up, I'm getting a message. You can, if you want to scan that QR code, I am told you can scan it from where you're sitting. You can pull it up and follow along um, with me, with my notes and everything and some links to different things there. All right. Thanks, Jeremy. All right. I just forgot where I was going with that. But, oh, Josh. I appreciate what Josh brought up about what's going on in our world. And the truth is, the world is in very much disarray. What's happening in Israel and Palestine, what's happening in India, there are, there are communities in India that one out of every two people has COVID right now. We've heard about other nations in which they are running out of places to bury their citizens who are dying from COVID. The world is not feeling great. I can tell you from a lot of the work that we're doing and working with other churches and working with other pastors, churches are changing. Some of you might be here visiting with us today because you feel things are changing and you're looking for something a little different. We had an event this week in which uh, we had 80 Pastors, nonprofit leaders, just faith leaders in our community that came together under the guise that we are struggling and we need to figure out how do we move forward. Now, this is an exciting way to start a series, isn't it? I bring all this up because one of the things that Scripture tells us is that regardless of what's going on around us, we can live strong. How do we do that? I've been telling you, that you who have been attending Journey for a while, that where we're headed, we are in a transitional period, and where we are headed is somewhere that doesn't exactly look like where we've been, and we're not exactly sure what everything's going to look like when we get there, but we are reevaluating and reassessing what does the world need to see from the church, and what do we as followers of Jesus need from each other in this changing transitional time, so... What I want to do is talk a little bit about kind of my background, what drives me, some of our church. If you are a guest, this is a great week to be here. Each week, we're going to be talking about lots of trees. One of the reasons I believe is there is such an intermingling between humanity and creation. God gives us so many lessons just by looking at nature. Scripture literally tells us you can know God exists simply by going outside and looking at what he has created. It is amazing how complex and yet intertwined all of life is, as if there was a designer for it all. As we go through and look at some of these things, I want to weave together a future vision of what it looks like to be the church. I'll tell you, I'm not the only pastor doing this. Almost every pastor and almost every church in our community is wrestling with the same question, and they're addressing it in a different way. What I know about our church is that we are passionate about other people, about serving our community. We are drawn to authenticity, not to fakeness. And while that sounds good, lived out in life, a little bit of fakeness can smooth over a lot of relationships. But that's not what we're about. So I hope you'll follow along and come with me. 
I understand and I want you to understand that God is still issuing this call in Matthew 11 where he says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you on, excuse me, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I stumbled across a tree in our community. And if you saw our kind of series intro that we put online yesterday, I shared a little bit about this tree with you. And if you have not been in Chattanooga long, this really is a fantastic city. We love living here. We moved here from Washington, D.C. And when we moved to Chattanooga, we just, we have enjoyed our time here. We loved Washington, D.C. We lived there for a while. We were in Fort Worth. We love Fort Worth. We've loved all the places we've lived in. But other than growing up in our childhood, we have lived here longer than any other place in our lives. We love our city. It is rich in nature and culture and history. We love what God is doing here among the churches, among the believers. I'm excited to see where things are going. But I, I came across this tree. It's a willow oak tree. And if you've ever been to the Bonnie Oaks Arboretum, it is on Bonnie Oaks Drive. It's right next to the DMV. You have never looked at the Bonnie Oaks Arboretum as you've gone to the DMV because once you know you're going to the DMV, you know there is no room for any other thought than a negative thought that's rolling through your mind, right? You don't stop and go, wow, that's a magnificent tree. You think, i got to get in and out of this place. This is awful. I hate being here, right? But right beside it is the Bonnie Oaks Arboretum at one time was the Bonnie Oaks School. It was an orphanage that started post-Civil War, and it was open for children in the Chattanooga area for almost 100 years, up until 1984. There's one tree in particular that if you drive up, you may not even know what you're looking at, but if you know the history, if you know the backstory, if you know the significance of this tree, then it begins to kind of pop out at us and make us stop and question. It's a beautiful tree. This next slide is, is the willow oak, and it's hard to see there how big it is. This is the only tree in Hamilton County that's on the Tennessee Landmark and Historic Tree Registry. The only tree, and we have a lot of trees in Hamilton County. This is the only tree that's on that historic registry. It is a tree that was planted sometime just before the Civil War. And it's one of about 60 trees that survived the Civil War in the city of Chattanooga. It is said that after the Civil War, there were less than 60 trees in city proper. Next slide, you can see kind of what Chattanooga looked like following the Civil War. And the reason that was was because wood was a natural resource that was necessary for the war effort. The Civil War was the last war fought on our soil. And they cut down just about every mature tree that was here in order to supply the war. There were less than 60 left, including, next slide, next sli there we go, that one, including that one, the willow oak. Now, a willow oak tree is normally 60 to 80 feet tall. That's how tall they get, just naturally. This tree is over 100 feet tall, and it has a lot of unique features. Some I'm going to share with you on another week because there's a lot we can learn from this tree. But what I want you to see today is that while most of us want our lives to mimic 
the appearance of a beautiful, full, mature tree, don't we? We want to grow up and we want to mature and become adults in which people look at us and they go, wow, that person is magnificent. Look how full they are. Look how well-shaped they are. Their life just, I mean, it's just, they've got it together. While that's the image of what we want, that doesn't just happen. And just because we say we love Jesus doesn't mean he's going to shape us into that tree. If we want to be that tree, we won't get there by accident. Now, there are some other amazing trees in our community. One I I think I'm going to share with you next week is a record holder. And yet you probably don't know where it is or what it is, it is literally less than a mile from where you are sitting right now. I may share that with you next week. This willow oak has been here, and at least six generations of Chattanoogans have grown up while it's been growing. My guess is if I walked around the room and asked you how many generations of your family you can name by name, the vast majority cannot get past three. Now, some of you, I know you love history. Some of you, you do the whole genealogy thing. You subscribe to genealogy websites, and you probably know 15, 20 generations of your family history. But the average person cannot name past their third generation within their family. But this tree, it's been standing for at least six generations. What has it seen from, put that Chattanooga picture back up, from that Chattanooga and the Chattanooga we see today if we drive downtown. Over 150 years it has stood. Now that's great to hear about a tree that does that. But one of the reasons we're here as a faith community is because we, as the community of faith, have been around for over 80 generations since Jesus rose from the dead. And while our message gets co-opted and corrupted from time to time, the general message of the gospel has stayed true for 2,000 years. This is the message that gives a founding for life. As much as everything changes, our faith, it doesn't change. Our God doesn't change. When I read his word, the principles that he gives us to follow the way of Christ still work. Even after 2,000 years, they still work. This tree has survived because it was rooted. It was rooted in good soil. It was rooted in a place where it could get sunlight. It was in a place that has been protected. And today, this tree wouldn't still be here if it weren't for those that have worked to protect it and allow it to keep growing. I'll share that with you another week. It has to be near a water source. There are things that must happen for a tree to become a record holder. And if you're going to be rooted in your faith to grow and to be strong and to experience Christ in your everyday life and the Holy Spirit, as Deidre was just talking about, speaking not just in times past, but speaking in your life today, you must be rooted as well. For we as a church to move forward in this changing world requires a rootedness in us in which our foundation is strong and secure. 
The reality of that strong and secure foundation is not in question. The question is whether we ourselves are rooted in it. A little about me. We started Journey 13 years ago. 13 years ago? Is that right? Am I doing my math right? We started Journey 13 years ago, and Scott and Karen joined Deidre and I, and then many of you have, were with us from the very beginning, in which we were in great churches. Churches that are here today are still great churches, have great people in them, but we felt there needed to be a place for people to have easier access to Jesus. <laughs> I have great friends in every church in which I've served, and yet there was a consistent problem I found in the churches in which I was serving whenever I would care for and reach out to people that were messy and their lives were just falling apart and I would invite them to be a part of what we were doing and they would respond. There was a mindset that you clean yourself up before you come to church. And when they came in, beginning the process of change, but yet not having fully come to fruition, there were eyes that would look at them like, why are you still this messy? This is for cleaned up people. Certainly not everyone in our respective churches felt that way, but there was a drive within us to say there should be easy access to Jesus and we should work towards that goal. We should be a place where anyone can come no matter what their background is, no matter what their sin is, because Jesus, that's how he operated. We coined a phrase that said, come as you are, and it caught on like fire. Still to this day, people talk about come as you are. And while as good as that idea is, my dad challenged me on that one day. He said, can I come in a coat and tie? And I said, dad, we don't wear coats and ties. He said, can I come as I am or not? It's like, dad, that's the way my dad is. Those of you who know him, he just stirs things up. But he was right. The reality is, is that our phrase wasn't come as you are. It was actually come as you are, but don't stay that way. And what we found is that people were in love with the idea of coming as I am, but they wanted to stay that way. So over the years, if you've been with us, you know we've, we've shifted and turned from time to time where the gospel has never changed in anything we've ever done. The way we approach it, the way we represent it has adjusted based on ways we believe God is calling us to be more authentic and living out what it means to really follow him in the way we do music and the way we do programming and the way we talk and all of it. And one of the things that just always bothered me in those early days were the number of people that would champion our church that had no interest in letting Jesus do anything different in their lives. So we shifted. Part of this is a result of my own testimony, and I've shared this before, but I want to go in a little more detail, and I and I I want to share it in a way I believe you will um, understand where we're headed with this series. I want to share with you what my experience has taught me about being a Christian in this world. Three prayers that God has laid on my heart to pray consistently from the day I accepted Him as my Savior, and then ways the gospel will change us. You think, Mark, you don't have much time to do all that? You watch. I'm ready going to do it. Many of you know my parents. They helped us plant this church, and they live in Knoxville. They drove down every weekend for several years, and 
uh, have been really some of our greatest cheerleaders throughout this. As the trip became harder and harder, they eventually stopped driving down, but many of you still keep in touch with them, and I know that means a lot to them, and they mean a lot to you, and that means a lot to me. I grew up in a home in which my parents had us in church every time the doors were open, which were three times a week, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. Some of you grew up in the same idea, the same way of doing church. And we grew up in a time in the early 80s, well, 70s, really, if I'm being honest, 70s and early 80s, in which church life was very different. And what it looked like to be the church was very uniform, you attend church and you talk about certain things. I grew up in kind of the conservative resurgence of the Southern Baptist Convention and the moral majority, and there were things you were to believe and ways you were going to act, and the church meant you showed up, and when you showed up, you better have your stuff together. And I was excited about being a part of this church. It was a big church, and my parents were very involved leaders within the church. Everybody knew who I was, and I thought I was a big wig. When I walked in the door because everybody knew my parents. The reality is when about eight years old, my parents had a rule in our house, and that was that you couldn't take communion unless you had been baptized. And so guess who got baptized at eight years old? Because we had crackers and juice in worship, and I wanted some too. By the time I was 12 began to realize something was wrong within me in my life. And I began to find an emptiness kept welling up within me. I remember one night in particular, I woke up feeling that Jesus had left me. I don't know. I don't have any scriptural basis for why I would have felt like that. It could have been something I ate before dinner. I don't know. But in that moment, there was an aloneness and there was an emptiness in me in which I felt like this is not good. But to that time, church had just been something we do. It's still the way people approach faith today, cultural Christianity in which I do it. I don't necessarily believe it. Or if I believe it, I believe a few parts and it never actually changes me. I lived that emptiness for the next three years of my life. I was a kid like many people that age that was insecure and looking for friends and would do anything to fit in in ways that caused me to do things that were unhealthy. I had friends. I had people that I could hang out with. But when I turned 15, that emptiness, it, it started to just gnaw a hole in me. But I went to church every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, and every Wednesday night, and I felt empty every time. Things began to fall apart with my friends. I remember one one day we were in PE, we were walking the track, and one of my friends came and started picking on me, so I picked back, because that's what you do when you're a high school kid, you pick back. And we got in a fight on the track in PE, with all the other classmates around us watching, I don't know where the teachers were, by the way, because this like felt like it took 15 minutes. It probably took about 30 seconds, but it felt like it was about a 15-minute thing. And I left that moment thinking something is wrong with me. Something is wrong with me. I, f- I feel this emptiness and this aloneness 
What I have to do to feel accepted by many of my friends feels dirty and like this is not good. I go to church, but I get nothing out of church. I get nothing out of what they're saying. And like many kids that age, my entire focus was on me, on myself, on my problems. And as I struggled to go from this cultural Christianity in which I felt like I was just on top of the Christian world to this place of emptiness and I, that I couldn't understand, I had a moment of clarity that I don't, I just need Jesus. And my cultural Christianity gave me the tools I needed to know that. But I needed Jesus. But I didn't know how to get Jesus because I felt like I'd been doing the Jesus thing for a long time and I, it just wasn't working for me. So one summer we were going on a youth camp and uh, we had been going for years and I loved summer youth camp because there were lots of girls there, you know, lots of spiritual reasons for me to want to go to youth camp. There were lots of girls there and lots of fun things to do. I mean, you had to endure the Bible studies and the classes and stuff, but the rest of the time was really great. But that year was different for me. I needed something, and but I didn't need another Bible verse and I didn't need someone telling me I needed to just go to church. I, like, I needed something supernatural in that moment. D- can you relate to this? And so one night, they, the way youth camp goes, we've joked about this over the years because we do youth camp not this year and not last year, but we will next year. And we joke about youth camp because on the night before your last day of youth camp, that's when you really hit them with the gospel and everybody's sad to be leaving camp and like a lot of people get saved on the last night of youth camp. But for me, it was real. And they would always say, you can come up and you can talk to somebody that somebody wants to talk with you. If you're making a decision to follow Christ, come up and we would you know, do the invitation and, and people in scores would go up. But I was frozen where I was in my seat, is shaking because I needed something that was real. And what I had experienced about Christianity wasn't real up until this moment. The juice and crackers were great and all, but it really, I can get better juice and crackers at home, right? It wasn't that great. So the worship service ended and I bolted. We had a time before you'd get together with your church group and I bolted it. And I I remember walking out. We actually, this was at the same youth camp we've been taking our kids to for the last several years. And first time I went back as a chaperone, I went back to the place in which I honestly asked Jesus to be my savior. And, and I just broke down. It was, it was so very real to this day. I have pictures of this place. And when I look at it, it is so very real because it was this place that I experienced the real Jesus. And I was changed. This is the real Jesus. It was as if he was sitting next to me. No, he wasn't. And no, I don't have a brain tumor or any other mental illness. Well, that's debatable. But I don't have a brain tumor, at least making me see things that aren't there. But it was as if he was there. And when I prayed, the the filling of the Holy Spirit, which means a lot of different things to a lot of different people, did not mean I got performed miracles or spoken tongues or anything like that. Although some people say they do. That was not my experience, but that emptiness in a moment vanished. It just vanished. Believe there are people feeling empty today. And they're coming to church every time they can. 
and the emptiness stays. I believe it because I lived it. And as we watch what's happening in our world and our community, if we watch what's happening in the church, if you are uh, enjoy anything church-related, what you find is what I find are lots of people saying the church is falling apart and it's dying. People are leaving. I do not think that is the message of the gospel for our season. Yes, there are people leaving. Churches are looking different right now. There's a big migration happening where there's a moving around as people are realizing, I think I'm supposed to be doing something different. There are people asking new questions coming out of a pandemic. It was so transformative for me. The next morning, our youth pastor was like, something's different about you. And all I could say was, yeah, yeah. I was still a 15-year-old, and I, I knew that whenever you become a Christian, you're supposed to go share your faith, and like every other Christian that I've ever known, I really didn't want to do that. I thought, well, maybe I can grow for a little while, and I can put that off and feel weird and awkward somewhere down the road. I remember someone handed me a, it's probably my youth minister, handed me a track saying, this is what you do when you're a Christian. And there were stair steps. And the very last step at the end was share your faith. And I was like, whew, good. I can put that one off as long as I can. I don't want to do that one. I'm still a 15-year-old kid. But I can tell you that moment is with me today as if it was today. I think one of the reasons people are starting to lose faith in the church is because we are failing to experience Jesus in such real ways in our life. We cannot propagate a cultural Christianity if it is not real behind it. And those of you who have kids understand your kids see through that stuff faster than we do. They're struggling with the world in which celebrity Christians are deconstructing their faith and saying none of this stuff is real and they're taking it in and they're soaking it in. What does it look like to be the church in this time? Some of the young pastors that we're working with are reporting that their number one problem in their church right now are young people that are struggling with the deconstructing of their faith by celebrities. Why they shouldn't believe. We are in such a celebrity worship culture that when a Christian celebrity that at times we've told our kids, now that's a person you can look up to, and then systematically tells you why Jesus isn't the Savior of the world, their faith crumbles. And yet for 80 generations, the gospel has for the most part not, it hasn't changed. And it is still the same gospel today that it was then. It's rooted in something. What does it look like for us to be rooted in something? What I love about my story is that Jesus received me with grace. He looked past all my struggles, all my attempts to fill this hole, and he said, I love you, and I want you to do life with me. I died for you. And I believed that. 
My three prayers following that day, they began that day. And and I had the benefit of growing up in the church, so I had lots of information about the Bible. I just didn't know what to do with it. But I've, I've had three prayers for the most part my entire life as a Christian. The first one is, don't let me go anywhere where you're not. Scripture tells us there is no place you can go where he's not. Second prayer was, don't let me do anything that you wouldn't want me to do. And I'll be honest, he hasn't exactly answered that prayer because I still struggle with temptation like everybody else does, right? And he, don't ever let me sin, God. I mean, that's a wonderful prayer and sentiment, but it takes a lot of, takes a lot of work and self-reflection and prayer for that to happen. It doesn't just, you don't, he doesn't just make it go away. And the third thing I prayed was, let me do something meaningful for your kingdom. I don't care what it is, I don't care where it is, I don't care if anybody knows what I've done, but I want to do something significant for your kingdom, and which he has never asked or called me to do that, because he did what was significant for the kingdom. I just get to enjoy it, right? Those have been my three prayers. These, this is my experience. This is what is going to kind of guide our time together over these next few weeks. The next few weeks are not going to be quite so introspective and um, me talking about me so much. Um, we, I want to get down to what does it really look like to be rooted in this time and in this place and in this world. But the first thing in my experience about life is this, that number one, life can be hard. Interestingly, those are the best times for someone to look for Jesus. Life has been hard. <laughs> And right now is one of the best times for people to be looking for Jesus. What will we show them? What will they experience as a result of how we live our lives? Are we full of joy? Are we always down? Are we a people that are making sure you know we don't agree with you? Or are we a people saying, you belong with us? What does it look like if we're really going to share Jesus because life is hard. Second thing in my experience is that Jesus is real. And you can't really disagree with me because it's my experience, right? That's the way our whole culture analyzes everything. Well, my experience is what is true. Well, my experience is Jesus is real. So you can't argue with me. Hey, I can play that game too. But Jesus is real. I experienced him on that night. I've experienced him in our family, in my marriage. I've experienced it as we go through church and we struggle through what does this look like. Jesus is real. Scripture tells us Jesus is real. Well, we would expect that, but it's, it's the way Scripture tells us that he's real. Like, You can't help but look at a sunset and see that there's something bigger going on than you. You can't help but see how life sustains itself year after year after year after year. There's more going on here than this just was a really great coincidence. Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims His handiwork. We see it in the beauty of life. We see it in our relationships with other believers. We see it when we fall and we're not empty or alone. 
We see it when we fail and Jesus says, I'm with you. We see it in answered prayers. We see it in relationships that are restored, marriages that are made stronger during difficult circumstances. We see it in the fruit of knowing God's word when we live it out and we see not just the pieces, but the whole lived out. It still works. I've told you before, we see it in this world's infatuation with the supernatural, whether it be a horror movie or or a book or a story. We are infatuated with the supernatural. Where do you think that comes from? if not the supernatural God calling to us regularly. Paul believed this so much, and I echo his sentiments so much in 1 Corinthians 15, where he said, if this is not true, we are to be pitied more than anyone else on the face of the planet. Paraphrase. I've experienced and I know to be true is that life is empty without him. We can pretend that life is full as we reject and we go out and do whatever makes us feel good. But life is empty without him. This is why we talk about sin. We don't talk about sin because God's looking to smack you on the hand. We talk about sin because sin is what makes life empty. It hurts us. It poisons us. This is why Jesus said that faith, knowing him, like finding the pearl of great price and selling everything you've got to get it because it's so good. Life is empty without him. I have found that in my own life. and Many of you have too. The fourth thing in my experience that I have seen is if we are going to be rooted, if we are going to stand strong, if we are going to be a people ready for the number of people asking different questions today, There is a way. I love the Mandalorian, by the way. Totally took this and now every time I say it, I feel like I'm quoting the Mandalorian. Well, you know what? They're quoting Jesus. Mandalorian's quoting Jesus, so there you go. There is a way. It doesn't just happen. We don't just show up to church and all of a sudden the worship was so amazing. I am changed for no. Rarely are you changed in worship if you've not been following a way before you get to worship. It occasionally happens where God says, let me get your attention to how good this is. But usually you've got to be prepared if you want worship to do something to you when you're here. There's a way that we live and we don't always get the way right. Sometimes that we are the biggest jerks on the planet because we believe in the principles of God, but not the way of Jesus to live them out and love other people into the kingdom. Sometimes we don't do that well. But there is a way if we'll look for it, if we'll seek it, if we will live it out. It's where we find joy. It's where we find meaning. It's where we experience the supernatural. And I would not be doing this today if I did not experience the supernatural within me because of the Holy Spirit. I wouldn't do this. I've got too many other things to do. My guess is a lot of you feel the same way. There is a way. There is a way to be rooted. There is a way to be strong. The thing I've experienced to be true in this world and in this life is that there will always be a million other distractions to this way. There's more than a million. 
They're never ending. I'm too busy. I've got other fun things I like to do. I, 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 my heart is just drawn to this other thing. I love whatever. I mean, we are in an entertainment-obsessed culture because we want to be entertained. That is not the way Jesus works. He's not an entertainer. He's a life changer. There will always be a million other distractions. This is why we never embrace sin as a way of life to avoid conflict. Because it's a distraction from experiencing what is real and what is true. The last thing I want to share with you about what I experience is that if we, if we really believe the things Jesus claims, our life will grow increasingly focused on following his way. Now, I will say my life does not look like a point A to point B way of growing spiritually. I don't really know anyone whose life looks like I was here, and I just it's just a straight line to where I am today. I don't know anybody that lives a life like that. I mean, it's all over the places. There are seasons of my life. I rejected God's work in my life. I rejected God's call in my life. There are seasons of my life I wanted to have nothing to do with faith. And there are seasons of my life that I couldn't have made it through without faith. But as a follower of Jesus, when you find the pearl of great price or that treasure buried in the field that you sell everything you have so you can have that field, you can have that treasure, when you have those moments, you will not stay away long because everything else is disappointing. This is our core passage for this series. It comes from Psalm 1, the first four verses of the first psalm written by David. And he says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by the streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. We're spending the next few weeks becoming rooted again. For some of us, it's re-engaging relationships. It's relaunching different ministries within our church. It's reimagining what the future is going to look like. And one of the things, if you're a guest today, you should know is that our goal is not to be the largest church we can be as fast as possible. Our goal is to be authentic and real. If this is a place where you'd like to plug in and find a place that you can grow and you can give of yourself and you can experience something that is true and real, we invite you here, but we're not trying to grow as fast as we can. This is what I know, that if you embrace this gospel, it's going to change you. You have no choice. You've seen something that can't be unseen. You've experienced something that can't be unexperienced. Your perspective will change. We're going to do one week. There's a tree I'm going to share with you talking about perspective. There's a couple of them, actually. 
your perspective changes, which really changes your whole life when your perspective changes. Your perspective changes. Your relationships change. One of the reasons that I believe the gospel is real is because I, I have friends who are Christians, right? And I have friends who are Christians. And my friends who follow Christ passionately, my friendship with them is, is so rich. The things we talk about, the way we encourage and support each other, the way we hold each other accountable, and the world doesn't want that. But I'm telling you, it's rich. When someone knows Jesus and the power of grace, the power of love, the power of serving one another, I'm telling you, it will change every relationship. If you're married, it will change your marriage. If you're a parent, it will change the way you parent. If you're dating, it will change how you date. If you aren't doing any of those things and you have friendships, it will change your friendships. Your relationships change. Most of us are in on those things. Okay, change those things. But here's what else I know will change. Your schedule will change. How you spend your time will change. We try to get other people to serve us within our lives. That changes. We begin to serve others rather than trying to get them to serve us. It's a big change in happening in the church today. Your spending habits change. Ultimately, your heart changes. Why do I share all this with you? I don't know if this is encouraging or discouraging, by the way. I'm just telling you what I feel like I need to tell you today. I hope it's encouraging. But I, what you probably are picking up within me is also a twinge of anguish over recognizing that in this transitional period, we're seeing some hard things in the church happening right now. Necessary things, but hard things nonetheless. My belief is not that we need a program to fix it. My belief is we need people to experience Jesus fully and honestly. We need to demonstrate what it looks like to love God and to love others. We need to reevaluate all that we do as a result because ultimately the gospel will change your heart. Let me just leave you with this and hope you come back next week. Is that you will not grow deep by accident. You won't just wake up one day and realize, wow, look how deep I am. It won't happen. You grow deep intentionally. You grow strong intentionally. That is what our community needs from the body of Christ. To see that it's real to see that it's true, to see that we're not just interested in their sin life, we are interested in loving them into the kingdom. How do we do all this? Uh, we're going to spend a lot of weeks talking about this. And I'll, I'll give you a hint. I don't have a program in mind. It's a way that the body of Christ works together. Your passion is ignited. Your gifts are utilized. God speaks to you and you act and it affects the whole community. How do we, how do we organize something like that? Well, we seek him to be changed by him, to worship him, to experience the Holy Spirit within us so that we hear him and that we respond in kind. If you're looking for that kind of a place, that is where we're headed and 
Let's spend the next few weeks talking about how do we get there. Let's be rooted. And I believe just as David says, we will grow strong and we will prosper as a result. Would you pray with me? Father, God, I thank you. In the midst of all of my cynicism and poor behavior and trying to fill an empty hole with all kinds of other things, you you are consistently still reaching for me. I thank you that you changed lives today just like you did 2,000 years ago. Father, I pray that as we are re-engaging in the world and we are moving forward and, and what we hope is a post-pandemic world, God, we will not just go back to the way we were, but you will draw us into something more and something better. And I pray that our city will see the body of Christ as something that is powerful and strong and desirable. I pray that we would demonstrate that we love you by our love for each other, by love for our other brothers and sisters all throughout our city and other church communities. Let this thing that's within us be real. Father, we ask all these things in Jesus' name.